Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Alexis en el descuento ha marcado el Arsenal como viene siendo habitual esta temporada. Gol de Alexis 1-0 Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. What a weekend. What a weekend. It's good to talk to you. I feel like because we do this podcast, I have to sort of you know, try and not communicate with you in the hours before, the days before, so that we have stuff to talk about. Yeah. Um, but after a gay, I sometimes want to spill it. So I've been holding quite a lot back and it's a relief to finally be on this on this podcast and, and let go of it. Like a giant pimple that you're able to squeeze. It's absolutely like that. Right. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure where to start. I think we need to co- compartmentalize this whole thing a little bit first. So I reckon we should start with the game and mm. what we thought of that, and then we can go on and discuss all the other things which have, which have been borne out uh, because, of, because of what happened. So 3-0 um, down at halftime to Stoke. Yeah. And in a season where... You know, I've often said, I think we've often said on this podcast, you just never know what might happen. That was, that's within the realm of you never know what might happen in the sense that, you know, you, you, you could you could find 5,000 pounds on the street and you could be 3-0 down to Stoke at half time. Um, I, you know, I've I, it felt a little bit surreal, not unexpected and not, not a shock, but still kind of surreal because it's Stoke. It's uh, yeah. It was it was odd. I mean, I guess when the team sheet came out, I felt the writing was you know, if not on the wall, certainly someone had a pencil stood very near a wall. They would stenciled it out. Exactly. Yeah. Right. They definitely made provision for it, and um, yeah, the, the the back five looked you know raw uh, because Hector Bellerin was in there, Callum Chambers was in there, Emiliano Martinez, and I did fear for them slightly, and for those fears to be realised quite so quickly. Mm. What was it, 20 seconds, something like that? 25 seconds, I believe, when Peter Crouch spindled the ball over the line with his ridiculous stork legs. Yeah. And I I think the first half was one of the worst defensive performances I've seen from Arsenal. A lot of people have said to me, oh, but how can you say that? There have been so many. But for me, I think the the calibre of the opposition, Mm. you know, at least when you're getting battered by Liverpool and Chelsea and even Manchester United, you can say, well, they've got some some great attacking players. I'm not sure the same is true of Stoke. They're quite, they're sort of middling team, really. Yeah. Uh, And we made them look a lot better than they are. And that was, you know, unforgivable. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the amount of errors that went into all three of the goals was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, did did we come to any kind of conclusion as to why Permer to Sacker moves from the right centre-back to the left centre-back position to accommodate Callum Chambers when Callum Chambers could, to my mind, just as easily play left centre-back as right centre-back? I I don't quite understand that. No, because Callum Chambers hasn't got an established way of playing at centre-half. I was thinking about it yesterday. I think Nacho Monreal's probably played more games as a centre-back than Callum Chambers has now at the top level. Yeah. Uh, so it sort of seems odd to build around him. The logical thing to me seems to be to keep Mertzak aware he's happy and let him, you know, help Chambers through the game. Yeah, it was like that. Um, wasn't there a game when could have been Bellerin came on or something and, and pretty much every member of the back four had to shift one space to the to mm. the left I think it was mm. um, you know it just makes more sense to me to, to keep players 
in the positions they're they're most naturally suited to. But I think that's that's kind of a small issue overall. Um, you know, the, it, it it does annoy me though because we did it at Everton with Mertesacker on the left of Chambers, and it was a, a bit of a disaster then as well. Yeah, and um, I mean there must enough, be some kind of logic to it. We just don't know what it is. It will probably be that Chambers has played most of his games at right back, and so Wenger effectively feels he's more comfortable you know, on that half of the field. I imagine that mm. will be the, the core of it. But it's interesting when you think about some of Chambers' best performances at centre-half, uh, the Community Shield, for example, the opening day of the season, they came alongside Laurent Koscielny rather than Per Mertesacker. Yeah. That seems a more natural and effective partnership. Yeah, uh, of the three centre backs we've got. Mm. So look, three nil down, and you're you're looking at it going, fucking fuck, fuck. Um, there was a halftime change. Hector Bellerin came off. Matthew Flamini moved to right back. Mm. Um, I mean, he had to do something to to try and and work it out. And there were a couple of moments, I think, in the in the second half where we looked, you know, a bit more in the game. Alexis hugely unlucky with a with a brilliant run and that finish that came back off the post. That would have been one of the goals of the season, I think. Um, yeah. Do we have? a little bit more understanding of, of how Alexis missed his chance as opposed to Olivier Giroud missing his? Because at least Alexis had run from halfway and sprinted through the defence, and if there was a tiredness to his finish, it's vaguely understandable, whereas Giroud heading wide, uh, 1-0, that, 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 that did my head in. Yeah, I mean, of course Alexis should have scored. I'm sure he would have felt the same himself. But I think generally fans are more forgiving of a player when they've created the chance entirely for themselves. You know, it's kind of like, well, fair enough. You know, you started in a position where no one expected anything. You should have scored once you got there, but at least you generated that opportunity mm. individually. Which you really, it was a chance that was put on a plate for him, really, by a great cross from Hector Bellerin, who did well just to keep the ball in play. Um and that, and that's something that we've seen before from Giroud. You know, he's he's he can be a little bit less clinical than we'd like. And it's frustrating because obviously on those things games hinge entirely don't they you know goals mm. at, at that stage of a game can completely transform the complexion so yeah a lot of what ifs i guess about that chance yeah um two goals then uh well i mean that whole thing when we were uh, nearly four nil down and then all of a sudden we're three two in the space of about what five minutes yeah that was bizarre that was bizarre, and I think it probably should have been four looking at the replay. Yeah, I mean, uh, if that goal had been disallowed, if we'd scored that and the goal had been disallowed, oh, I'd have been very, furious, very yeah. annoyed. Um, uh, the referee we might touch on in a few minutes as a, as se- as a separate thing. I think so, yeah. Um, what did you make of the the second yellow card for Callum Chambers? It's harsh, isn't it? Two fouls, two fouls, and I think it's harsh in context. I think in a very clean game, you know, for him to pick up bookings for those things might not have seemed quite so odd, but it's what was going on across the whole pitch that wasn't being punished that made mm. his punishment stand out. Um, if you see what Peter Crouch was doing to the centre halves, if you see what Jonathan Walters was doing to sorry Charlie Adam, I confuse these orcs; they are sort of similar in stature and ugliness. Mm. Um, was doing to Alexis Sanchez. That's what makes Chambers's centi- uh, sending off particularly. Galling. I think it was uh, very harsh indeed. Okay, so we're on we're on the referee now, and uh, you know, as a caveat, n- neither of us are suggesting that the reason we lost the game was because of the referee. No, that doesn't mean that we can't point out the fact that he is a fucking useless cunt. <laughs> I don't think I don't think there's any problem with that. How on earth can a referee look at at Peter Crouch, stick his arm straight into Chambers' face, and go over and give him a warning? And then he did it like minutes into the second half on Mertesacker and rightly got a yellow card, but that should have been uh, a red card. Um, the Charlie Adam incident is just unbelievable. Like, how can you put a player in a chokehold and not get sent off? Uh, I agree. The linesman is looking right at it. it. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. And so the, my initial thing is to think, oh, well, was the referee just going with the home side but then you look at that fourth goal and actually it's not the linesman doesn't flag at all it's the referee who who disallows it so the guy was just clueless I think Mm. Uh, it was a really poor performance from the official really poor Mm. yeah but yeah. yeah yeah but I suppose as you said 
that's not the reason that we lost. I mean, there was this kind of second half fight back. Did you feel before the sending off that we might go on and do it? Yeah, well, I mean, I thought with th- at three two. You know, having come back, it, I mean, like we, we we talked about with the with the Giroud thing, that the goals changed the momentum of a game. That mm. Stoke are three 0 up and cruising, and we know what it's like to be like three two, and then hang on a minute, you gotta you gotta hang on for another twenty minutes because there were twenty minutes, uh, including injury time there, um, and the 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 red card obviously made that very very difficult almost impossible for us to to make the comeback so you know it, it genuinely it wouldn't have surprised me if we'd stayed with 11 men and managed to nick something from that game which isn't to say that um it wouldn't have done much uh, more than paper over some of the first half cracks but um yeah I, I think we were slightly un- unlucky in that regard but only in that regard because the rest of the performance is pretty much indefensible because uh, of the way we defended. And look, it ultimately, for me, comes back all the way to the summer and all the way to the recruitment and the lack of recruitment in the defensive areas that you can look at pretty much every bad result we've had this uh, this season and put it down to the fact that we just don't have enough defenders. Yeah, because I, you know, I talked about the starting eleven looking a little bit worrying, but the reality is that there was no choice, was there? Uh if no, Kashani I mean yeah, yeah, couldn't yeah. play and morale couldn't play. That's all. That's all we had, pretty much. Mm. Um, and it is a little bit boring to constantly go back to the the summer transfer window, but that's the answer, isn't it? We just didn't do enough. Yeah, it is. So look, then okay, that that frustration obviously manifested itself in in many ways. Mm. Um, you know, there were um, people inside the ground um, talking about how when the team was going off at halftime, they were getting plenty of stick from the fans. And mm-hmm. I don't think anybody in that context has any real issue with that. It's inside the ground. People are, are, are have paid their money. The team has played abysmally. The manager hasn't done a great deal about it. Um, you know, the, the, the problems that we had on the pitch come back to the frustrations that people have with the manager in the first place, so blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then, um, obviously, there, there was that video capture uh, as the team were getting on onto the train. Um what I mean, I think as I said in the in the blog today, booing isn't necessary. I don't see that as abuse. Right? No, I, I didn't see the banner at West Brom as abuse personally either. Um, but w- perhaps then it crosses a line where it becomes personal, or people are, are sort of hurling invective at the manager, and, and on a basic, very basic human level, you know, I I don't like to see that. And uh, whatever you think about the manager, he's still somebody I've got a great deal of respect for. He's done brilliant things for Arsenal Football Club. Um, if if we're falling below the standards that we expect, it's because he created those standards on a consistent basis. You know, we've never had this period of uh, sustained um, consistency at that end of the table. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword very much in, in that regard. Mm. Um I mean, what what did you think of of the reaction in in that in that sense? Uh, the video I thought was really quite distressing, I suppose, because as you say, we've all got a great deal of well, not we've all, but a lot of us still have a great deal of admiration for Arsene Wenger uh, and a great deal of affection, even if you don't necessarily believe he's the right man for the job moving forward. I think we've said many times those things aren't mutually exclusive. And I think uh, it felt to me like it did cross a line. Perhaps it was because it was outside of the ground. I don't know. It feels like within the context of a football stadium, certain things are permissible that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be taken into the street. I mean, I feel like it's one step removed now from someone going up to us and screaming in his face when he's in a restaurant with his family. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you worry about how far that will go. And it, it's unpleasant. And I think what's maybe most troubling is that a lot of the people who really lay into Arsenal often say, well, it's because they see Arsenal as something bigger than one manager. You know, they're about Arsenal rather than Arsene. And I think if you are about Arsenal, then the values inherent in that should be upheld to an extent. And it felt a very unclassy way to go about our business. It, it was, yeah, upsetting, I thought. Is is there not this, um, is this Arsenal class thing not just some kind of a, a construct that doesn't necessarily exist. <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm, I'm being deadly serious because, yeah, know. you know, it, it's a football club. Where is the Arsenal class when it comes to putting up 
prices of the tickets by 3%. What's particularly classy about that? And with any football support, and because of the nature of, of football and, and the people that go to football, um, you've got really great people and you've got some people that aren't so great. That's true of every single football club. So, you know, well, I yeah. think sometimes these, you know, this thing about this is not Arsenal class, I, you know, I don't necessarily understand it. Well, I, look, I'm not trying to put us on a pedestal about above other clubs. You know, I'm not into that whole Barcelona more than a club thing. I, I just think that any any club would be a little bit disappointed to see someone behaving quite so boorishly among uh, sure. among their supporters. Sure, I get that, but I don't understand why it's like it's unexpected in a way that oh my god, I didn't think Arsenal fans were capable of this. Sure, of but, I mean, course we are. Well, but how many? How many people are we talking about as well here? Well, that's that's very true. That's very true. Um, but, I mean, w- w- what do you think Arsene Wenger's reaction to this is going to be? Because, look, one of the things that he says all the time is that he's been a football manager for 30 years. You know, do, do you not think I know what I'm doing after 30 years of being in football? So he knows football. He knows the game. He knows that when things go well, that he's the man that he's going to get the praise. And he knows fine well that when things aren't going well, that he is going to be the subject of criticism. He knows particularly now that he is going to be the brunt of criticism because of this um, people have become maybe a little tired of the... of The status quo? Yeah, the status quo, the consistency. Fourth isn't enough for people. Even, you know, even when you step back and look at that objectively... Uh, against the opposition and against, you know, people are just a bit, it feels a bit stale. So Mm. he must know that when things like um, the Stoke performance happen and the reasons for that Stoke performance, which you go back to, not buying defenders, et cetera, et cetera, he cannot be in any way surprised that some people will react in a hugely negative way. Now, I'm all for, you know, criticism is absolutely fine. I don't believe in venturing over the line into into that kind of abuse. But he can't be surprised that some people will have gone there. And I don't think for one second that Arsene Wenger is sitting at the uh, London Colony this morning in a dark room rocking back and forward, wondering why people don't love him. You know? No, I don't either. I really don't. I, I, think, I think if anything... It will just kind of redouble his his efforts. Now, the, the the question is whether or not you think his efforts are good enough, or whether he's capable of of lifting things up to a sufficient degree. But I don't think it's gonna it's gonna damage him in a huge way. I mean, the other thing is like this is the first time it's been captured on camera. But is that really the first time that's ever happened in Arsene Wenger's tenure? I sincerely doubt it. That's a, you know, yeah, exactly. If you think about some of the results we've had, Chelsea, man, you know, the eight two. The thrashing at Liverpool, I would be staggered if he hasn't encountered that kind of reaction before. Of course, uh, but yeah, I think you're right that this is the first time it's been it's been made public or made viral in a way, um, and that has perhaps given it a, a bit of a different spin. You I know? think maybe what's what's um, one of the reasons I find it particularly depressing is actually kind of in some ways it's less about the content but more about the consequence in terms of these massive divisions that exist between Arsenal fans and that dialogue we see played out online you know I feel like the supporter base the cracks are developing into ravines really Mm. and it's just it feels like a very unpleasant time yeah uh, to me at least yeah it feels unhealthy that's the dog yeah that's probably the postman arriving i mean i think it is it's a really really unhealthy situation because you know we had we had supposedly um got to a point where we've won a trophy we've uh, in the early part of the summer people are going what is arsene wenger doing he's lying on the beach and then all of a sudden it's whoa arsene wenger is the man because he's brought us alexis he's brought us uh ospina we've got debushi in to replace sanya good early summer signs oh callum chambers and it, you know it had built to a point where you're thinking right he is really really going for it in terms of in terms of um you know w- what we're going to do this season and it's fallen way short of of what people expected but Um, i think do you think for me the positive moments just don't seem to sustain at all it feels like faith in the manager is damaged to such an extent that he is really struggling to buy any time swimming against the tide constantly so he wins the fa cup but that doesn't seem to 
generate any long-term credit. You know, within a few months, people calling for his head. He wins three games on the spin in the last couple of weeks and now one defeat and the vitriol is there just as much as ever. I'm not necessarily criticising people for that, but I'm saying the problem for the manager is that it feels like even when he gets on a good run, he's one bad thing away from the tide turning again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's that's the reality of the situation, you know, and I think... Um, you're right when you talk about the the cracks that exist um, within, within the fan base that there tends to be extremes at both ends, right? So there's people who think the manager can still do no wrong and there's people who think that the manager is the worst person in the world ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and those um, positions are becoming more and more entrenched. I, I don't know if you saw, but I think I tweeted something or retweeted something on Saturday. Uh, a young lady who was talking about how she's never going to go to an away game again because she was um, she was afraid because fans were fighting with each other, literally kicking the shit out of each other outside uh, the Britannia Stadium. And that, you know, when it comes to that, your fans are the same club. And, and yeah. when you can't, when you can't even uh, respect another person's point of view to the to 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 the extent that you're you're actually fighting them, physically fighting people, that is a really unhealthy situation. That's I mean it's it's crazy. I mean it's it's awful, and it's it's been going on for a little while now. If you if you listen to people who've been going to away games regularly. But I think it's getting worse and worse. I think what's interesting, though, is to ask why. Why is this happening? Is it something to do with our club? Is it something to do with the way that the fans feel that they're, they're in such a, a position of, I don't know, sort of a purgatorial position whereby they feel no, nothing will change <clears throat> without intervention that is pushing people to such extreme stances and extreme measures? I don't know. I mean, it's a good, it's a good question. I mean, I, I have a, I think I have a question marked here for, for our question section. But I think it it, it works now. Uh, I'm just going to find it here, and it comes from. Oh shit! I'm sorry. It's uh, Aurelien Rougemont. Um, okay. And and the question is: Does the board need to accept some responsibility for fans' feelings towards Arsene Wenger? Ticket prices, empty promises, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I mean, is this is Wenger is obviously the the lightning rod, but are there other issues which are uh, informing the way that people feel about him? Like, I mean, would would people be uh, less fucked off if they hadn't had a three percent pay rise or a ticket rise in the summer? Maybe would would they be less fucked off if there was a board with genuine football knowledge who could um, who could influence the manager in a way? Yeah, that, you know, even, when the, when uh, they, you, you know that whole Sir Chips thing that uh, oh, if he's got a plan, we back him, and if he doesn't have a plan, well, you know, <laughs> we just leave well, him be. I actually think that if we, even if we had a board who had the balls to sort of <laughs> uh, who people believed had the balls to sack a manager. I actually think it would take some of the pressure off the manager. I think that part of the problem is that people are so convinced that the board will never sack him that they almost feel the onus is on the fans to voice their discontent because they feel there's no repercussions or judgment from that top level. Uh, I think that that's part of the problem, to be honest. But one thing I think is interesting is if you ask yourself, who at Arsenal cares about winning? Is it the board or is it the manager? Who cares more about winning the Premier League? I I think it's definitely Arsene Wenger rather than Stan Kroenke or Kroenke or whatever yeah, yeah, you want to yeah. call it. I would agree with that completely. No one at Arsenal wants to win more than Arsene Wenger. That is, I think, fact. You know, for all the criticism of him, you cannot doubt his intention. Yeah, uh, I, w- I would agree with that. The, the, so, the issue uh, then becomes one of competence or ability. Of course, yeah, um, and that's separate, I think. Yeah. But in terms of side, you know, in terms of if you had to pick sides between the board and between Arsenal, the one if we if what we all want is to win, the one who it allies most closely with that is the manager. In terms of his ambition and, and you know what he wants to do, he might not always go about it the right way. We might not agree mm. with the way he goes about it, but you can't really question what he wants at the end of it. Whereas with the board, I, I suspect that they're. You know, winning was a nice bonus, but if the business is still turning over at a successful rate, it's not such a problem. And then you come to the to the to the issue of 
you know, if, if it does end or when it ends for Arsene Wenger, that you're looking at these people who nobody really has any great confidence in or trust in, in terms of, of how they run the club from a footballing point of view, because I don't know that anybody would look at Arsenal and say, OK, that, that appears to be a very well-run business, very slickly uh, run outfit in terms of, you know, the money that they generate and how they generate, et cetera, et cetera. But mm-hmm. from a football point of view, who's picking the manager? Who's pick, You know, who, who does that? A team of consultants? That's what'll happen. They'll get some consultancy firm in and they'll, you know, buzzword this and put together, you know, that's how it'll happen rather than a football club with the football knowledge to, to appoint the right football man. So I think, you know, there's, there's a weird, yeah, I think you're right. There's a weird kind of dichotomy there between, um, you know, the manager and the board and, you know, it's, it's all part of the same um, big thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that is a concern obviously because it, you know, even with people will cite the David Moyes example, but credit Manchester United. When David Moyes went wrong, they behaved like a big club. They did what they had to do. They sacked him. They brought in a massive manager and spent about two hundred million quid. I feel like if we appointed David Moyes, we'd probably stick with him. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we had appointed David Moyes, he'd probably still be in charge at Arsenal. Yeah, and that's the worrying thing: is that mentality there at board level mm. I don't know just to bring it back to the manager what did you make of uh, his comments after the game I mean I think he was critical of the defence uh, and he said that we were too soft defensively which is right but you know what 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 struck me was the the, the bit where he said there were a lot of positives um, yeah, that's why I mention it. That, and it I find just, that. Yeah, that, to me, that just was unnecessary. There was no need to say that. Even if, you know, we know he's not a guy who's going to come out and say, that was terrible, um, we're terrible, we shouldn't be so terrible, etc., etc. You know, he'll be critical in his way, you know, we, we were soft defensively, etc., etc. But there's no need to say that there were a lot of positives because all that does is wind people up. Mm. You know, there's what positives, really? saw so some people say Santi Cazorla scored a goal. It was a penalty. Most of us could score a penalty. Aaron Ramsey got a goal. <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't even from the corner. The, the corner was cleared. I mean, it was a grand hit by Ramsey. But, you know, is that a is that a positive on a day in which so much else went wrong? You know, I think there were just... I think it, it was a game where all the shortcomings that we've got for all the reasons that we've touched on, were exposed. And I don't see any need to try and find positives in that. Even if no. what he's saying is very much... Um, what he says in public always is quite careful, I think, because he wants to try and, and promote a, a positive outlook and, and keep the players uh, up and alive and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, sometimes just hold your hands up and say, look, that was bad. Yeah, I wrote about this on my blog. I mean, I suspect Arsene is kind of too big at Arsenal to take advice from any kind of <laughs> PR person. I'm not even sure there is someone who would sort of manage his communications in that way. But I do feel that sometimes it would actually do him some favours just to be a bit more honest about what happened. I think that I understand why he chooses to sort of put the positive spin on things. But I think that all that does is infuriate supporters now. Mm. Um he doesn't care about that. But I just think that if someone wanted to, at the club, you know, try and protect the manager a bit more, they might say, look, on this one, just sort of hold your hands up. Because I think I think it would, uh, people would appreciate the honesty. Mm. I think that although people understand the reasons that he gives the answers he does, I think it's sort of starting to grate with a lot of fans now. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, well, look, I suppose the other big issue uh, that we have... Uh, as we head towards tomorrow in the Champions League, is whether or not Joel Campbell got out. I know. I mean, I know we're all worried about it. I've written a lot of letters to Amnesty, trying to get him free. He must. He must have heard that. Get out while you still can, Joel. Run for your life. And well, then he, he, he must have just like, oh shit! I better not get on the train. I'll, I'll scamper across the fields to freedom. Yeah, to live you, life. If, if you look in the corner of that YouTube video, you can actually, while Arsene Wenger walks across the screen in the background, Joel Campbell is stealthily crawling into the toilet to hide. Yeah. 
do anything but get on that train back to London Colney yeah. and his multi-million pound contract with Arsenal. Yeah. The guy has got to break free. Have to say, it was quite funny seeing Joel Campbell warm up in his kit for fully, t- I think, 10 minutes before he came on at Stoke. What was, was that about? I, I didn't get that because, they, you know, they cut to him on the sideline from the TV and it's like, here's Joel Campbell, he's about to come on. And then he threw him on in the 92nd minute. In a way, it almost felt pointed. Yeah, <laughs> he was Didn't making it? an example of it. It was like, yeah, go go get ready there, and then I'm going to throw you on for three minutes when you can... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Have absolutely no impact at all when, you know, if he'd, if he'd thrown him on in the 82nd minute with the six minutes of injury time that there were, you know, the guy had close to 15 minutes. I have to say, the use of Joe Campbell, it, it, I almost feel like... Wenger's bringing him on to just give him appearances so that his appearance record says he played six times before January, you know, so he can say, well, look, he played six times. I mean, they are redundant, the appearances he's making, aren't they? Mm. They're cameos in the true sense. Maybe he does need to get out while he still can, right? (laughs) Run, Joel, run. (laughs) We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with your questions in part two right after this. Welcome back to this cheery Laugh-A-Minute Arsecast Extra. And now is the time where we take your questions uh, sent to us by uh, you, obviously, on Twitter, uh, to Gunnerblog and at Arsblog. And the first question today comes from Shivam Kana, and that's uh, at Shivkana14. And he said, assuming we had signed a centre-back in a DM and the results were exactly the same, how different would reactions be? That is a great question. I think that's a really good question. Because if you talk to people who are vehemently against Arsene Wenger, that's the first thing they'll say. He didn't strengthen the requisite amount in the summer. I suspect that the reaction would be as bad. Because I think people would say, look at the squad he's got, and he's not getting the best out of it. Which there is a certain element of this season already. But I think because of what we talked about earlier, that such thin patience, so little patience before the, the anger rises, that I think that it might be just as just as tricky. What about you? Yeah, that's kind of what I think. That it, the, the There's an ability, not just with Arsenal fans, but with football fans in general, to shift the goalposts yeah. all over the place simply because... It's, it's possible to do that and they can do it in such a way that it, it, it backs up what they think already. So the issue is that, yes, we, we didn't get enough central defenders and that's an issue and maybe uh, we should have got ourselves uh, a midfield linchpin. However, if the results were the same, the blame would be still on Arsene Wenger and it would be for another reason. It would be because... Uh, injuries, or because Giroud is shit, or because Welbeck is this, or because Ramsey mm. is that. You know, it would it would shift in that regard. So I think the, I think there might might have been a little bit more patience, a little bit. But generally speaking, uh, I, I think it would have been the same. However, I think it would also have been um, easier not to counter the criticism, but to say, well, look. You know, we, we, we bought all these players, um, so it's not an issue of 
of, of personnel or lack of personnel, then it becomes perhaps more an issue for the manager because um, he's the one that's putting his team out. So, I mean, I think the goalposts have already shifted. The goalposts for a long time will win a trophy. The goalposts were start buying marquee players. And he has done those things. Yeah. Um, and I think that what that shows is that I don't think people are quite honest enough about what it is that frustrates them about the manager. I think a lot of it is just to do with a kind of boredom, a kind of you know long-term frustration um, and a, a case of familiarity breeding contempt. Mm. Um, and I think that the reasons would change, the named reasons would change, but that will not go away now. You know, there are just there's just a certain degree to which I think only winning the Premier League can kind of save Arsene Wenger from the contempt of a certain portion of the fan base. I, I think that, yeah, it's uh, it's a weird one, but I, I I had something else to say and it's completely gone. Yeah, so. well, <laughs> I, I wouldn't worry about it. I do I do know what you mean though. That, like we said earlier, is swimming against the tide, and um, he's running up a down escalator, kind of. Yes, exactly that. Yeah. It's All exactly right. That. Go That's on. Another then. question. Why not? Another cheery one. Um, ooh, yo, yo. This one is from. Don't know actually. Sorry, this is awful presenting. It really is. It's appalling. Thank you. This is from Cave Tastic. He asks. Do you think Arsene isn't telling his team how to defend? Or are they just ignoring him? Um, I don't know why they would just ignore him. Um, uh, I think we know that defensive coaching has never been his forte. Mm. Um, But he does have Steve Bold there. And he does have Neil Banfield. And he does have Boro Primorac. All of whom are... Uh, experienced coaches, um, all of whom have a, a certain amount of work to do on the on the training ground. I just think that the the inability to field a consistent quality back four or five um, has been has been a real problem. That mm. you know, last season when we had Sanya, uh, Mertesacker, Kasiani, Gibbs, and Chesney behind them. You know, we have a goalkeeper that shares the golden fist. We've got uh, a load of clean sheets. We've got, um, uh, apart from those crazy days when things went really wrong, uh, a team that looked like it could get a one or two goal lead and hang on to it and not um, uh, and not go crazy. But again, we come back to just not being able to, uh, A, feel that consistent back four, uh, and B, we don't have the, the ability to replace key components of it when they go missing through injury or suspension or whatever it might be. Um, so I don't, I don't think there's a, a situation where the team are just ignoring him. I mean, if you look, even if you look at the, the third Stoke goal, there's a willingness to defend that. You know, you could see players really, really trying to defend the corner. The problem was three or four of them went to contest a, a ball with a six-foot-eight bloke and he just headed it down and because there was three or four of them there the Walters was left uh, unmarked I mean that was chaos though wasn't yeah, it that you know ball, that's right? what it is it's panic it's chaos it's lack of organization uh, and that is maybe something that you you need to look at um on pitch uh, to to find a solution for that but look you know I I don't know I don't know do we know that Steve Bold is a good defensive coach? I don't know what we know about Steve Bold. We yeah. really don't know anything about him as in I mean, terms of the impact that he has. I mean, there was a suggestion, wasn't there, that, you know, uh, a couple of seasons ago that um, he was allowed work with the defence and all of a sudden we started getting clean sheets and then Arsene Wenger didn't like that for some reason. He hated which, it. He hated having clean sheets. How dare they? How dare they not concede? Go- you know, I never understood that. Uh, uh, kind of thing. He was jealous, though. He was jealous of all the clean sheets. But he's a very passive kind of a guy, isn't he? He he appears to be. I'm sure on the training ground he's got a lot to say, but during games, he's not like Pat Rice. Pat Rice was on his feet and in the technical area and shouting and screaming at players, and and Steve Bold doesn't. No, I think we're all a bit guilty of thinking about it rather simplistically. I think there's an assumption that the type of guy someone is as a player is the type of coach they are yeah but even but, even as a player steve bold um and i was just discussing this with with uh west antone 
uh, last week that even as a player he wasn't the he wasn't the gobby one. He wasn't. Mm-hmm. He just kind of was, you know, a, a silent murderous kick you up in the air assassin. That's what mm-hmm. he did. He was a fucking brilliant defender. I loved him, but you know, he wasn't the the vocal leader because he had Tony Adams alongside him. He had Keown there sometimes. You know, you have Dixon and, uh, and Winterburn either side of you. He didn't need to do any of that. He knew what he had to do, and that was go around and tackle the shite out of people. And fucking, you know, that was his job. That's true, but I also think. You know, Roberto Mancini was a, an attacker of great flair, but his sides play a type of cautious defensive football. I, you know, for all we know, Steve Bold's Arsenal under-18 team was like the Newcastle of the, you know, mid-90s, the great entertainers. Or they, or they might be like the very much like the modern Arsenal first team. Mm. I think that sometimes, you know, we hope for things from Steve Bold that might not necessarily be justified. Yeah. Um, as for, yeah, I mean, the, 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 just that corner thing really annoyed me because it, we must have known there was a good chance Stoke would use Peter Crouch against us. They're not idiots uh, as much as we might dislike them. And it felt like there wasn't necessarily a, a plan to deal with that at all. Yeah. That, you know, that's always irritating. All right. Here, here's a question. This comes from Selbridge Gooner, and he wants to know how should fans express uh, an opinion that Arsene Wenger should step down without disrespecting the best manager in our history? So, yeah, that's a really I, I had one. that question from a few other people as well. I think Wesley MC UK asked, uh, and a couple of others, sorry for not mentioning. It's really difficult, isn't it? I mean, so we spoke about the banner, was it just last week, I think? And um, I think we were both of a mind that that was kind of, if, if, if a bit uncomfortable, sort of acceptable. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, there's there's ways and means of communicating, I guess. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was uh, the message was was fairly direct and clear. I think the only, uh, I don't know, I don't know where the line is. I don't know really what the end game is. Like, is is the idea of these protests or these public shows of frustration that it will result in Arsene Wenger being sacked? Well, or that he might resign because I think there's, I think there's far more chance of him resigning than there is Absolutely. of him being sacked, right? That that would be my thinking on it. So I wonder is the 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 desire to, to make the protests or to make his life as uncomfortable as possible so that he might consider that? Because I don't see um I don't see the I don't see the board acting on it. No. No, I think so maybe it's about showing him you know, Wenger had, I think has said in the past if people don't want me here, do you know what I mean? I, I, I won't stay. Yeah. So maybe there's a sense of, oh, well, we must you know, communicate that to him somehow. Um, that's for the right way to go about it. I don't know. I think I think what I think is the wrong way is stuff that occurs outside of football ground. I think that's where my line is um, in terms of what I find palatable. Um, what about you? In In what sense? I mean, how how do fans express their opinion, or how should they? How should they? Uh, how should they is the question, isn't it? How do how how can let's say? Wow, who was screaming? I don't know. I didn't Did you even hear, hear that? It. I think it's in your head. The voices are back. Hang on, there's definitely somebody screaming. But if something bad has happened, this has turned into cereal. Yeah. This could be a really disturbing episode of the podcast. Yeah. I'm going to stay here. You st- yeah. Hold Hang, the fort. I think it was yeah somebody outside my house screaming, mm. and they I, are doing some work on a on a house across the road, and I'm I'm hoping that there hasn't been an angle grinding accident of some kind. Jesus, I mean this has been a a distressing episode of the podcast, <laughs> but I mean this is a turn for the worst, definitely. It, it really has. Maybe it's actually just Joel Campbell scorching towards <laughs> freedom, <laughs> running down my road. I'm free at last. <laughs> Anyway, um, we're, Dublin is the natural destination. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. He could walk down the street completely unhindered here. No yeah. one would recognise him. It'd be like the Arsenal training ground. Yeah. <laughs> um, what were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about how fans should express oh, our opinions. So how express how can, on an individual basis, you know, everyone um, has the ability to 
to write a letter, for example, to the club, uh, whether it gets to Arsene Wenger or not, whether they want to address it to Arsene Wenger. People have their social media platforms. Uh, some people can use their own websites, podcasts to, to express their opinion. But as a, as a collective... wankers. Yes, that they are, and we all are. <laughs> but how, how can a, a collective express their opinion other than through what many people will see as kind of un- unseemly behavior and we we we've, we've touched on it i don't think booing um is anything other than uh, a part and parcel of how large crowds of people react to things so whether it's at a politician or a football match or a a bad play or if you see phil collins walking down the street what do you do you boo right mm. um so, I mean, I think that people are going to react to what happens um, as and when it happens. And that obviously dictates the, the, uh, the level of the, of the reaction. Um, I, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know if there's a right way or a wrong way or a way for it to be done that's, uh, that's always respectful or, or anything like that. I just don't know if that's possible, just by well, the very also, nature of the situation. Yeah. Also, this thing of respect, I mean, I'm not sure how long that will last. You know, it's that thing of, well, I, I, I respect you, but I, I want you to be sacked or mm. I want you to resign. It's like there is an inherent contradiction there, isn't there? And yeah. it's, it's a difficult balance to achieve. It's like saying, with all due respect, that means... I I think you're a wanker. But yeah, something awful is coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think there is a measure of that in 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 terms of, in these issues. Mm. Uh, it's a really difficult question. That uh, the only thing the board will listen to, for what it's worth, I think, is financial stuff. So ticket sales, basically. Yeah, that if if they start seeing huge swathes of uh, of tickets uh, being unsold, then mm. that. I think will obviously will obviously have an impact, but until then, I don't, you know I don't see it. So I don't know. There's, Do a, there's a great question, but difficult. I've answer. got a question. Go on. Right. I've got a question. My question is: Do you think there's any point at which the divisiveness of a ma- of the manager becomes in itself the problem? Do you think there's any point at which the board would go? This is this is a bit of an exaggeration, but ripping our club apart to an extent. I think it's ultimately dictated by by what's happening on the pitch. Mm. In in the sense that if things get really really bad on the pitch, that decisive or that uh, the divisiveness will grow. Right? It oh. will. I mean, if we have a a string of bad results and we're mid-table, then, you know, all of a sudden the divisiveness um might in a way unite people because it gets to a point where it becomes impossible to defend. Do you know what I mean? That yeah, if, if it gets if it gets really bad, then I think that the groundswell of opinion that more moderate people um, moderate is the wrong word. I'm sorry, but people who are still inclined to think that Arsene Wenger is the right man will change their mind about that. That if it, it all comes down to what happens on the pitch, and as long as things are relatively okay on the pitch in terms of results and where we are in the table and and everything else, then I think they'll live with it. But until such time as it becomes really, really, really bad, nothing will happen. Mm. That's what I think. Another question? Yeah. Okay, this one comes from Johnny Page. I really like his name. I don't know why. Johnny Page? Yeah, it feels like a, a cross between... Johnny Cash and Jimmy Page or something. I don't know. He seems like a cool guy. Right. He asks... Should ask him out for tea. (laughs) Consider it asked, Johnny. Tweet me. Even with Cosback... That's Lawrence Shelley. I was wondering who the hell Cosback was. What's a Cosback? (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's nice, Johnny, but he's not perfect. Do you think we need an upgrade over Mertesacker as centre-back? I feel like he's regressed quickly. I think that we need a centre half that is as good or better than either of Koscielny or Mertesacker. That's what I think. Um, you know, I think 
partnerships are important, and I think the Koscielny Mertesacker partnership is excellent. Mm-hmm. And I think that was borne out by a couple of the recent results, that as soon as Koscielny's back in the side, we look a lot better defensively. Mertesacker looks a lot better defensively. Um, I think in a way also, uh, Aaron Ramsey is a better player when Mikel Arteta is in the team. Mm-hmm. I think those partnerships exist in football. Uh, but, you know, I think if you're going to go and buy a centre-half, you should go and buy... There's the lorry. You've got to go and buy the best player that you can you can possibly get. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, if we can upgrade on any player in the squad, I, I think we should do that. But I also think that people are very quick to write off players and not be in any way forgiving when their form dips. Um, I don't just mean Arsenal fans. I mean, football fans in general. There's a very short-term outlook to a player's ability that, you know, one week he's fantastic, the next week he's a liability. Um, And I understand, and I think Mertesacker would probably be the first to say that his performances this season haven't been as good as they should have been. But there are reasons for it. Um, Not excuses, but there are reasons for it. Uh, but, you know, if we can bring in a good player who works well with Mertesacker and Koscielny, I think we're, we're, we're looking at a situation where there's plenty of football to go around for all of them. And, uh, and that's what we should do. I think you've touched on it there, but I think the real challenge is to find someone who can play with either of our centre-halves. Because, yeah. you know, we've talked about Chambers and Mertesacker potentially being a bit of a dysfunctional partnership. It'd be great to have someone who could play alongside Mertzaka and alongside Koscielny and that's that's not an easy task necessarily um, but I think that would be incredibly useful to the squad if we can get someone who's comfortable with either partner yeah yeah okay um, alright I've got another question here somewhere somewhere bum 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 no I don't oh yeah. a lot of questions this week okay yeah right. I've got one more um, maybe two more but one more this one uh, this comes from Brian, and he is at Gunner Faithful, and he wants to know, we all know what we want to see happen in January. What do you think will happen as far as incoming transfers? Oh, We're getting to that time that. of the year. <laughs> it's the most wonderful time of the it's year. It's the most. I, oh, I don't predict. I don't know. I mean, we. I got it wrong in the summer in terms of the, the spend, and I hope... I'll be wrong again because I don't expect masses of business. You know, there is a small part of me that thinks we might even, oh, I can't even say it, but we might even do very, very little at all. I think we'll probably make one signing and it will be a centre-back of some description. And I hope, uh, and when I say a signing, I mean a senior signing. I think a guy like um, Mings from Ipswich who we've been linked with is almost separate to the first team policy although he's 21 I feel like to bring him in and ask him to play regularly in the Premier League would be very very risky so I don't really count that among what we might do I think we might bring in one experienced centre-back Squilacci kind of yeah Sylvester figure you know. no but I mean I you know I, I don't mean to be um dismiss it because if you look at the, the signing of Squilacci at the time he didn't work out but look he was coming from Sevilla he you know French international he mm. won European trophies in terms of the profile of the player like he's not the world's best but you would have you would have thought that he could slot in pretty well without no I mean I, I'm not I'm not expecting Mats Hummels to turn up by any stretch of the imagination uh, you know who I've, I've mentioned Winston Reid I think it'll just be someone who's a, a proven experienced performer and uh, that might not be good enough for some people, but I think that's what's realistic. Midfield signing? I don't expect that, no. No, neither do I. Neither do so I. what do you think will happen? I think we might get Mings, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that would be it? That would, yeah. Does that concern you? Because um, Tyrone Mings has played predominantly as a... A left back. It's a bit of a Callum Chambers situation where people say, "Oh, he could be a good centre half," but there's not really any evidence of it as yet. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it would concern me, um, but not surprise you. Not surprise me. I mean, that's it's not what we want to happen. It's what we think will happen. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I really think that this January, and I think the manager must be looking at it now and realizing that this January is is 
almost make or break in a way because he's got he's got the cushion of January to make signings that will help the team have a good second part of the season to the point where he can keep his job. If because he went if it out continues. and he bought an international centre-back and Sammy Kadira, do you think that would buy him some time? Like, Do you think that would take the heat off him until the end of the season? Yeah, again, though, it, it dependent on results. Yeah, you know, if he does, if he can't get those players to play, or if he can't get those uh, the 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 system that he wants to function, then no. So, yeah, I mean that 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 is the he's got to do both of those things, buy well in January and get the team performing. That's I mean, no, I mean, yeah, because ultimately none of these discussions would be happening if we were having a good season. Correct. Correct. It always comes back to that, doesn't it? Mm. Go on, one more question from you, if you've got uh, one. All right, this is from Red Action, um, and they ask, was Saturday the worst Invincibles Day ever? Was it the... Worst Invincibles Day ever? Oh, does that mean the day that nobody else can... I guess so. I guess it's replacing St. Totterium's Day. You know, it's one of those. Well, you know what? I enjoyed that early part of the Saturday uh, primarily because the wank fest over Chelsea going, what was it, 14 games unbeaten? Something like that. Yeah. 14 games, and people are talking about them being the Invincibles. I mean, it was just such a load of old shit that it was delightful to see it fall flat in its arse. When Were you, you never worried that they could do it? Sure, a little bit. You know, you're always a little bit worried, but... Um, it just seemed premature. Like if they get to, you know, 25 games, then you go, okay, look, they're, they're really doing something here. Yeah. But other teams have had cracking starts to the season without losing a game. I think United went 20-odd games one year without losing a game. Um, and, and just this, I don't know what it is about Mourinho and the hold he has over certain sections of the media that he can't do anything wrong at all or they think that everything he does is kind of like he's got a Midas touch, you know? And, and to, to see fair, him after the game, you know, complaining about time-wasting and all that kind of stuff, what a ridiculously hypocritical cuntbag he is. He really <laughs> is. So for him to lose that game and to be fucked off about it because you know he's fucked off when he's complaining, that was fantastic. So uh, I take uh, no pleasure in what happened beyond 3 o'clock on Saturday, but up to 3 o'clock, I thought it was fucking excellent. Yeah. I, I agree. I think, you know, and I was mightily relieved, I have to say, because I, considering that they'd been to the Etihad, you know, they'd been to Anfield, they'd been to Old Trafford, I'd be lying if I didn't if I said I, you know I didn't think they could do it. I thought maybe they could, and to see them come unstuck was a, a relief and a delight. Mm. And, and it was a media thing primarily. You know, it's not like you know Arsene Wenger went out and said I think we can do it before we did. Um, I don't think Mourinho or any of his players were doing that. It was something that was really drummed up by the papers, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, well, wasn't there a, a front page of the Telegraph last weekend? And they 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 you know who did they beat last weekend? Some pack of cons that fucking they should be beating. Oh, Spurs. Yeah. yeah, exactly then, a pack of cons. <laughs> and, you know, there's a, um, uh, a front page on the Telegraph saying Invincible. What mm. the fuck? Come on. Know. You know, Somewhat and I know premature. that... Yeah, premature. Right, I've got one very final question, very quick one. Uh, got to find out who it's from here. It is from... Ah, for fuck's sake. We, we were, we're bad with our question thing here, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we've not, we've not been hot on it today. Uh, I def I can't find it. Okay, it comes from Mongo Slade. Of course it does. He wants to know, do you like owls? <laughs> I love owls. Haven't we done... We've. This is a thing, isn't it? I really like owls. Have we done this already? Didn't we talk about a composite animal and I wanted a bit of an owl in it? Oh, maybe, yeah. And you said owl, owls creep you out, the way their heads spin round. Or yeah, something. they're evil. Yeah? Yeah. But I really like them. Okay. Um, what about this one? We'll just have this quickly. Go this on. is from Martin Robertson. Do you think chocolate bars have gotten smaller or is it just that our hands have grown bigger? I don't know that my hands have grown much bigger in the last 22, 23 years. Really? Is yeah. they not like your ears or your nose that just can t carry on growing? That hands would be amazing. Imagine if your hands just kept growing and you were left with these great big 
like shovels, shovel spade things. things. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, um, yeah but I, 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 I suspect that chocolate bars have gotten slightly smaller down the years. It's almost a philosophical question, isn't it? Yeah. What's, think, what's your favourite chocolate bar? Um, I like a Snickers. Yeah, good classic, that. What about you? I don't tend to eat them very much anymore, but I was always very, very partial to uh, cream egg. Oh, I know it's not necessarily a chocolate bar, but... How, and, and how do you eat yours? Um, I kind of nibble off the top and then nibble around it and I slurp out some of the, the energism and then... Someone with, can just clip that yeah. passage, by the way, and turn it into some erotic audio <laughs> fiction. And then when there's about um, a third or a half of the cream egg left, I just, like, throw it in there and, and let it melt away. There you go. That's like all our troubles. Like yes. all our troubles. All right, well, look, um, we're going to look ahead to the Newcastle game and review the Galatasaray game on the Arscast on Friday. We'll be back next Monday with a an action-packed Arscast Extra. <laughs> It'll be bye fun. Bye, everyone. It'll be great fun. I can't wait. I'll see you then. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.